So, uh, talking about embracing the um, unexpected, I was about to give you a talk about Gothenburg and volcanoes, but now I'm screwed. Um, so, how's your day been? Yeah? Is everybody happy? <laughs> How about your year? How's your year been? This past year been quite good? Nah. <laughs> How about the past uh, nine years? Oh, come on, right? This is the ninth year of Frontiers of Interaction. The ninth year. They've been doing this for nine years. We're now in an enormous building. There's all of these incredibly good-looking people in front of me. I think that's worth celebrating. The past nine years have been absolutely amazing for everybody in this room. I mean, think about it. You're here having these discussions with your peers about things which didn't even exist 20 years ago. Probably everybody in this room, like me, has a job which didn't exist five years ago. You're probably using technology today or having ideas about technology today which you couldn't have possibly had two years ago or six months ago. Or maybe, if you're really lucky, ideas you're having today that you didn't have yesterday. As Richard Saul Woolman said, said earlier, you know, change is constant and every generation thinks that they are in somewhere special. But really, the past 10 years have been absolutely extraordinary for everybody in this room. Let's think about what we didn't have the first year of Frontiers of Interaction, nine years ago. Well, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, there was no YouTube. There was no Arduino or Internet of Things, apart from in some sort of science fiction books and things. There was no Foursquare. There was no Google Maps. There was no 3D printing. There was no uh, tactile technology. There were no wearables. There was no, no Nike fuel band. There was no uh, open source cars like we have outside. Pretty much every cool technology that you've been using. There was no Gmail. Pretty much every cool technology you've been using today didn't exist when the first frontiers of interaction started. And today we're blessed with an enormous amount of technology and an enormous amount of tools. We're capable of doing really just about anything, anything we want. I've recently been doing a study of all of the different things that I can have made for me and then delivered by FedEx or UPS from around the world. All of the different things I can go online, design on a website, or order from a website and have it delivered back to me. And it's really pretty much anything. There are 3D printing companies who will print me anything in pretty much any material that I want. They can print me things in wood, in porcelain, in metal. There are genetics companies who will make me DNA and genetic sequences and send it to me in the, in the post. It's true. If you, if you want the genetic sequence for anything, really, if you want smallpox delivered or you wanted, you know, if you want to go out and get yourself a tube of the common cold, then there are websites you can go onto and you can get the genetic code and you can cut and paste it, you know, Apple A, Apple C, flip over to another tab, Apple V into the little box, you put in your credit card details, hit go, and a few days later, or maybe a week later, if you're living in Italy, the post will arrive and inside it would be a test tube with some E. coli, and that E. coli will have the DNA that you want. 
We can order pretty much anything and have it delivered to us. And we can set up workshops at home and, and we can build things. We can build the hardware and the software and we can add it together and make anything. I'm building a satellite right now. I've started a small company to build space vehicles. I'm building a spaceship in my bedroom. And I'm not joking about that. It's a, it's a genuine thing. It is going to go into space in a couple of years' time. We can do, and especially the people in this room, we can do pretty much anything we want. We have the tools. It feels a little bit like a revolution. Or if not a revolution, then it feels a bit like the Renaissance. You know, I live in Italy now. I live in, in Florence, in Firenze. And Florence is, is, you know, as you know, is a small town made entirely of art and old things. And when you live in Florence, you can't really... There's, there's a, there are 300,000 people who live in Florence. There are 10 million tourists. And there's a lot of art. And, and when you're living there, you become an expert in art. And you realize for the first 20 years of the Renaissance, the painters were terrible. I don't believe your art teacher, okay? The art wasn't very good. But what you can see in the art is the, are the painters learning how to use their tools. You can see them inventing perspective. You can see them inventing new ways of making color. You can see them inventing frescoes and oil painting and all of those things. You can see them inventing the expressive technologies. And that's really what we've been doing ourselves for the past 10 years. All of the people in this room, all of you, have over the past decade, and many of you for much longer than that, have been inventing the tools. We've been learning how to make paintbrushes. We've been learning how to mix paint. We've been learning how to make the red and the blue and the green and the yellow and all of the colors that we need. And now, today, we have all of those tools. We have all of those colors. We're like the people in the middle of the Renaissance who suddenly turned around and said, hey, we know how to draw people's faces so they don't look like aliens. And we know how to draw people's feet so they look like they're touching the ground. And we can draw buildings so they look like they're buildings. We have the skills now. So now, now we have both the tools and the techniques. Now we have to do a really hard thing. Now we have to decide why we're doing those things. What are we doing them for? The early painters in the Renaissance were doing their art because they were being paid. Because the Medici or the Sforzas or whoever, would call the Pope, would come along and they would say, Hey, Michelangelo! Sup? That's how they talked. Ciao. Mikey baby. Can you um, use your new skills, this crazy interactive sculpture thing? Can you make us a, make us a David? And Michelangelo would be like, yeah, right. And he would, you know, it was exactly the same sort of work as you do today. They had studios. They had... They had clients. They had deadlines. Actually, as, a, as, a, as an aside, Leonardo da Vinci. You all know Leonardo? Lenny, yeah? Big Len, 
as he was called. Big Len never, ever, ever completed a piece of work on time. He was shit with deadlines. <laughs> Terrible, right? This is, this is true. You can read it in Vasari. You can read it in many things, right? He was shit with deadlines. So if you ever have a problem when you're late shipping a product, like if your client is on the phone and he's like, where, where is my website? You're just like, dude, nobody rushed Da Vinci. You don't rush me, okay? Right? So anyway, <laughs> completely. So once they'd learned to paint and they'd built their businesses and they'd, and they'd, they'd done all of the work that, that was offered to them, you know, the churches, all of the churches had been decorated and all of the family portraits had been painted that you could possibly ever want to paint. They had all of these capabilities. They had all of these tools. They had all of these skills. And they started to look for other things to do. Things that were meaningful to them. And this is really the point in interaction that we are at today. That we as practitioners, as technologists, as people who build things, as people who design things, as people who talk about things for a living, whatever it is you do, we are now at the situation where we are skillful enough to make or order pretty much anything we want. We are not limited by our abilities, our technical abilities. We're limited by the ideas and our motivation. Which leads us to a really interesting thing. If you look online about the work that we do, if you read magazines about the work that we do, if you go to conferences like this, you'll see phrases. This is a good one. You all have it here. We are game changers. We are game changers. Ah. Do you feel special? Yeah, I thought you did. We're innovators, right? You hear this all the time. Like, we're, we're changing the world. We're innovating. We're disrupting. Oh, yes. Fear us. Especially in California. San Francisco must be just crazy the entire time because half of the people living in San Francisco are disrupting shit all the time, right? What's left not to disrupt? I mean, really, seriously. Disrupting things. So, let's look at things that we're disrupting. So one of the big trends this year is a thing called smart cities. You know smart cities? The idea is that you put sensors all over everything and you publish the data that comes from that smart city. You have an open API and then interaction professionals like yourselves can build apps and, um, and services that link into this data that's flooding from the city like a river of awesomeness. And, and you use those apps that are being built in order to optimize your life. The smart city will enable you to be more efficient, more productive, more disruptive. The game, whatever that game is, the game will change. Don't know what the game is, it's going to change. But smart cities, you know, productive, efficient, keywords. What are the other trends we have? Um, big data. Big data. 
Not little data. Oh, no, no, no. We've had little data before. Little data was what our parents had. No, no, no. We have big data. Aha. You know, and, and there are people, maybe some of the people in this room, who are experts at controlling big data. Who's he? He's a big data controller. <sighs> My God. Que bruta. Ma que bello. Mm. You know, and it's only, you know, big data. <clears throat> See, and the, the idea of big data is we can, we can gather all this data and we can use it to make ourselves more efficient more productive, more optimized. Use the power of big data to disrupt the world. So, we have these tools, right? We have these amazing things. We've gotten really good at it. What was last year? Last year was gamification. Same thing, right? Oh my God, he's using the power of games to change the world. He's game-changing with gamification. Oh, it's so awesome. And imagine what will happen if... No, I see it now. Smart cities plus gamification with the power of big data to disrupt stuff. The, 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 terrible thing is, the, the terrible thing is, there are people in this room right now who are writing that down going, I will be a consultant in this. <laughs> City gamification, urban gamification, new urban gamification, a new paradigm in urban gamification. <laughs> dot com. Yeah. No, no, no. Dot Tumblr. Dot com. Mm. All right, so, completely lost my notes here. Right. However, look, we've been doing this a long enough time, and we have to realize that we've now come to the point where we have to grow up a little bit, says me. We have to grow up a little bit about these technologies, because we have to ask ourselves, Why? Why are we disrupting things? If you go to Silicon Valley, if you go to San Francisco, and you talk to some of the people there who are all about the disruptive paradigm and blah, 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 you sometimes start to think that they're like three-year-old children who just like breaking things to see what noise it will make, who like throwing things out of the window just to watch it fall, Disrupting things because they can, and not really asking why. And this is a problem. Because that culture, that disruptive paradigm, is not universal. And it's very important that interaction practitioners like ourselves in different countries around the world, stop and examine what we're doing and why we're doing it. 
Smart cities are a good example. Smart cities, they use software and all these sensors and things, and they use software to optimize the city. And if you look at smart city technology, you'll see that there are some very big vendors, and those vendors include IBM. And IBM sells smart city software. And imagine that you lived in... Milan, or you lived in, uh, imagine you lived in Florence with me, right? And, and well, not with me, that would be weird, but you lived in Florence as well as me. And, and so imagine that, that, that Florence has a, a young mayor and he's kind of cool. And he, imagine that he went to IBM and he said, I want to be a smart city. Make Florence a smart city. And IBM would sell him lots of stuff and they would run it and it would start to optimize the city. But the software that IBM sells optimizes the city into the culture that is embodied in that software. Austin, Texas, which is where they make the smart city software, is a big town where people live outside of the city and they drive in. And they park and they go into their office and they work in their office and they get back in their car and they drive away again. But a city like Florence or a city like Berlin or a city like you know, Copenhagen or any of the small towns across Europe are not cities where people drive in and then work in and drive away again. They, people walk to work or they cycle or they, go to, or they go to work via a cafe and have a pastry and a coffee and watch beautiful people walk past. And so optimizing a city with smart city software from Austin, Texas is putting the culture of Austin, Texas onto the city with a completely different culture. And so today, it's very important that just like we did with media 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we start to pay attention to the culture that is embedded in our software and in our hardware and in the services that we use. Because with that culture embedded in those things is a sense of, of, of politics. Let me give you an example. Um, nobody here, I'm sure, has a BlackBerry apart from at home. Or if you do have one, you're not going to show anybody. But a BlackBerry is an inherently political object. Because a BlackBerry has within it a culture embedded that says that email is the most important thing in the universe. If you have a BlackBerry, or if you have Outlook running on your machine and you don't change any of the settings, it's the same thing. Both of those things will say, when you get an email, a BlackBerry will say, you have an email, you have an email, you have an email, you have an email, you have an email. You have an email. Seriously, dude, you have an email. Email, yoo-hoo, email, email. It could be 11 o'clock at night. It could be lunchtime on a Sunday. You could be at a funeral. It doesn't matter. You've got an email, email. Dude, email, 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 The culture of BlackBerry is that email is the most important thing in the world. And by giving somebody a BlackBerry or by taking on a BlackBerry yourself, you take on that culture. Facebook. Facebook has within it a political belief 
in every single line of code, every single line of markup, every single bit of CSS, within Facebook, everything that Facebook is, is a political belief that privacy should not exist. And Zuckerberg, he's very open about this. It's not a problem, he's open about it. And so if you use Facebook, to a certain degree, you are taking on his political beliefs. You are taking on the culture that is embedded in that software. And every piece of software has a political belief within it. Just as every piece of old Renaissance art has a religious idea in it. Every bit of software, every bit of hardware has some form of culture, somebody else's culture that they are trying to impose upon you. And if you don't believe that software can impose a bit of culture on you and you think that you're at frontiers of interaction, you need to have a sit down and find somewhere with some coffee, for God's sake, and think about it. We have spent the past 10 years longer, the past nine years coming to this conference, but the past 20 years really, inventing a science and a set of technologies which will enable us to influence others and enable others to influence us. And within that software, within that hardware, within that experience comes a cultural and political set of values. Sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from politics. And so your mission for the rest of the day, actually it's not just software, right? It's conferences. It's conference talks. It's people like me standing up on stage here. People like Richard Saul and whoever it is is after me and all the people who were talking yesterday. You have to think, what is the inherent cultural and political belief that that dude on stage is trying to make me think? And you think that about your newspapers, you think that about speakers, and you think about the same thing about the technology that you use. And so your mission for the rest of the day, your mission for the rest of the week, and your mission for the next nine years is to not just learn how to make better things, learn how to use these new technologies, learn how to interact with all of these amazing capabilities that we have online. But your mission for the rest of the decade and beyond is to examine everything that you interact with and think about what are the politics being imposed on me by this interface. And to examine what you believe the politics should be that are exposed through the things that you make. We all have a different idea of what the future should be. But we run the risk of accepting the future as decided by people on the west coast of America. You may agree with that, in which case, cool. But if you don't, if there's something about the politics that comes from that software that you don't like, as the only skilled people in the field, 
as the representatives of the best people of making this stuff, it is your responsibility, you individually in this room, it is your responsibility to go from this day and make software which embodies your own political beliefs and make the world a much better place with the ideas that you and your community has and not just those that come from San Francisco. Thank you very much.